welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. And welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Jen, one of your co-hosts today, and my other co-host is... Hey, I'm Jessica! And we are here today with a really exciting writer who has given us the second volume in a really exciting new mystery series. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Absolutely. Um, I am Veronica D. Henry, and I am the author of, um, actually, Bacchanal, The Quarterstorm, and most recently, the Foreign Exchange. Um, the Foreign Exchange is um, my latest novel, and again, the second in the Mambo Reina series. Nice. Yeah, I love the series, and I love our protagonist. And before we get into the book itself, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your journey as a writer and how it brought you to this series and to this story in particular. Absolutely. So my journey is one, um, I wouldn't be on this journey if there wasn't for one person. So um, I was always a reader, like most writers, um, just always a reader. I always spent time with you guys in libraries um, from the time that I can remember. So those were sacred places to me. So uh, being a long-term reader and a fairly good, you know, writer of nonfiction stuff, articles, essays, that sort of thing. Um, my husband is like, why don't you write, write a novel? And I'm like, I can't put that many words down on it. There's no way, not going to happen. Long story short, um, I eventually uh, succumbed to his pressure and wrote my first book. Luckily, you will never see that book. Um, never see the light of day. Um, but uh, I started writing many, many moons ago. And the, the journey is a tough one, as it is for a lot of writers. So you, you write, you might write an entire novel or two or three um, that don't go anywhere. But then you write one. And I wrote my first novel, my debut, Bacchanal, um, probably a decade ago. And even then, the first um, the first draft of that book was finished, it was done, but I knew it wasn't what I needed to be. And I just wasn't a skilled enough writer to write that book at that time. So I put that to the side and went on and wrote a couple other things, kind of honed the craft, um, and then got into a really good mentorship program. Um, where I work with both Mary Robinette Kowal and um, Kate Marshall. Um, they helped me really, really get that book into tip-top shape. And of course, that is the novel that landed me a, uh, an agent. Um, so kudos to both of them. Um, thank you, ladies. You are um, just invaluable, critical part to my career. Um, so that's three people, I think, I think in the first few minutes. But uh, after I got my agent, um, then the work began. We went through a fairly long editing process with the novel because she's like, we got we got to make it perfect. It's good, it's great, but we're gonna make it perfect. So after months and months of toil there, um, long story short, sold the, the novel, got my first two book deal. So Bacchanal against the first, and then the second one was The Quarter Storm. And then um, uh, The Foreign Exchange is my third. So that's kind of the journey to publication. Yeah, that's really great. And I always get really tickled when um, anybody, authors, they talk about libraries being integral to their uh, journey because Absolutely. we really we really appreciate it. We, we like it when people sing our praises every <laughs> now and then. You know, you, mm -hmm. you hear, like whenever libraries are trending on Twitter, I'm like, oh, 
Okay. What now? It's <laughs> um, always you know, good stuff. Always good you, stuff. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's really, I really, really appreciate it. So like one of the questions I have, so this is the second in um, this series. Um, and this series has the main character, uh, Reina. She is um, an amateur sleuth, but she is also um, a practitioner of voodoo. She's a voodoo priestess. Yes. Uh, yes. So, I mean, personally, I was like, that was one of the things immediately that when I saw the series, I'm like, this is different. This is not something you've ever seen. And generally, um, when you see voodoo portrayed in books, and especially Hollywood, mm-hmm. it's not this. <laughs> this is very respectful yes. to the fact that, hey, this is religion for people. This is old. Right. This is not flashy and um you know exploitative and i thought that that was great so i really want to know about um reina and about just sort of like some of the um challenges and how you decided that yes the the amateur sleuth in this mystery is going to be a practitioner of voodoo and we're going to do it right um jessica you kind of nailed it um this was something i had seen so many portrayals, right, in movies and even in books um, that I just thought, okay, they're they're not doing this right. It, it's not right. And it's it's downright disrespectful a lot of the time. Um, so I was actually reading uh, some other stories. I read, um, you know, uh, Dresden. So I was reading uh, Dresden, the first in that series. And I thought, uh, and that was years and years ago again. And it's funny how as a writer, sometimes you hear something, you see something, you read something. And it kind of gets filed away back there and you may not think about it for years and years later. So that's kind of what happened with me. I think we were watching something and it was also just a horrific um, portrayal of voodoo. And I thought then that popped back into my head and I'm like, I can do this and I can do it better. Um, So that's kind of where the idea came from. Um, I'm a lover of mysteries is all. Um, Well, let's get this out of the way. I love all books, but I love mysteries. And I thought if I can combine the two, that will truly be something different. A, a real hard boiled mystery with um, a tradition that I could try to the best of my ability to portray in a more positive and respectful fashion. So um, the tough part, honestly, was deciding that I wanted to do this because I was afraid. You know, I thought if I don't get this right, um, I don't want to contribute to the, the negative narrative and I don't want to offend anyone whose tradition this is because it's not mine. Um, but part of the fun of being a writer is that I get to read about the things that I'm curious about. You know, I get to study the things that I'm interested in, not just what they tell you to do in school. So um, I just kind of dove into research. So I started reading lots of books, not only on um, the tradition as it originated from West Africa, but also how it morphed a little bit, right, during the transatlantic uh, slave trade, how that religion was brought with the, the enslaved folks, but then kind of changed and how they consecrated some of the um, you know, regular Catholic uh, imagery onto that in order to protect themselves and to protect their religion. So the more I dove into the research, I just thought this is more than I even knew. It was just so rich in history, so rich in tradition that I thought I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to try and I'm gonna do my best. And I did that by again reading and then by also talking to practitioners and even academics. So I went to you know university professors and uh, people who study this and teach it and who have, who have made the travels that I wasn't able to make. 
Um, so I did all of that and kind of combined it into um, my own narrative with, you know, having to put a bit of a spin of a fantastical or speculative element on top of it. No small feat, but I enjoyed it. That is no small feat. And, you know, before <laughs> before I fell into libraries, I was also an academic. And so I love like when you when I heard research, my ears just like, you know, perked yeah. up, spidey senses went off. And I'm wondering, like, if you could talk a little bit more about what your research process was like. And also, mm -hmm. you know, if you feel like writing about voodoo taught you something that you couldn't get from just reading about it? Like, does writing um, give you a different perspective, uh, in you know, instead of just reading about something? Um, excellent questions. Um, first, I have to go back to uh, libraries. Um, and one of the things I did in Cary was kind of reach out to their research librarian department and got a call scheduled with one of the research librarians. And he was just awesome. I wish I could remember uh, his name right now, but I don't. Um, but we had a, a nice Zoom call where we kind of talked about the subject matter and what I was trying to write about. Um, and he was awesome. So he came back with a whole slew of books um, for me to read, things to kind of delve deeper into um, like the history of New Orleans and the tradition um, as it originated there or morphed there. Uh, and then he also gave me a ton of articles and just a bunch of other resources um, to kind of plow into. And that list was extensive. Um, so he put a lot of work into it, and and that just kind of gave me the roadmap for where to go to to drive my my process. Um, so after doing a crap ton of reading and trying to gather my own thoughts on, um, you know, what the what the religion or tradition, because there there's some people that kind of fall on both sides of sides of the fence. Um, some people see it as a religion. Yes, this is my religion, but some people say it's not as confined as a traditional religion. So it's more of a sacred tradition. So that was one of the things that I found during my research. But um, just after doing a lot of reading, even reading, there was a book by Sarah Bloom, I think it was called a, a Little Yellow House, I believe. But it's essentially a, a, a story, it's sort of a memoir, I think, about her family, and then also um, what happened after, you know, Hurricane Katrina. So what that book did was serve to give me just a perspective, A, of someone who grew up there, born, raised there, but then also um, just a real insider's perspective on the storm. And then just that whole idea of family and what that looks like um, in that city as opposed to you know other places. So that was one that was really key um, for my research. And then again, finding through all of that, finding the experts that I, I needed to talk to to delve a little bit deeper, both from an act, uh, academic, again, perspective, and then also from a practitioner perspective. So I got on the phone with a real live voodoo priestess, someone who has gone through that process, who's been initiated, um, and she was so gracious to share, you know, what she could. And that's the thing. There's there are things, and I respect that that she can't share with me, that she can't share with with us, uh, and that's fine. That's where I got to use my imagination. That's the fun part. Um, but just having that opportunity to speak with her, and then all the other uh, folks, and then books are always my mentors. So just diving into that was kind of how I. I came up with, um, you know, how I was going to tell the story. Um, and you're absolutely right. Writing it even is different than reading it. So I could read it. I could take all of the stuff in on one level, but writing it and then trying to decide as I'm going through, well, wait, you probably shouldn't talk about that. Or, well, yes, you can dive deeper into this thing. 
or maybe just gloss over this because that's something that's really um, sacred to that tradition and you don't want to go too deep. Um, so that was the difficult part of writing. It was this constant back and forth of what I could say, what I shouldn't say. And I also didn't want people, like some of the, the spells, uh, for lack of a better word, that are in the book. Um, there are things that I plucked out of books and things that I plucked out of other resources that I changed a bit. I may have changed one ingredient or two ingredients or something because I didn't want people to take this literally and then and, and go and do stuff. So um, yeah, it was a struggle to kind of balance truth and imagination and respect for the tradition. How did you find um, Raina's journey growing from um, the previous book to the foreign exchange? Um, I know in, in this one, like the the mystery is surrounding friends of hers. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm just, I, I'm curious, like, did she, did you find her changing within the two stories? Um, did you feel like she was developing a little bit more here? Um, or did she kind of just like, was she sort of just who she was when she popped out when you were writing the first book? Um, you know, it's difficult. This is my first time writing a series. So you have to think about that character arc from the beginning. And there are ways that you can really write yourself into a corner in the first book if you're not careful. So I try to be really careful and really mindful of that. But Raina as a character, I have an arc for her that I envision developing over many books, if I'm able to continue writing them. Um, but for the second book, I wanted her to be um, not, um, you know, a hard-boiled seasoned detective at this stage, but I wanted her to be a bit of a better detective and a little less reticent in her desire to kind of dig into things. So that was the, the first thing that I thought about her as a character. She can't come in as green as she was on the first one, but I don't want, I want to give her time to grow into this as well. So that was the first um, thing that I thought about. Um, the second part of her character, um, uh, arc and development from book one to book two was um, just in not only her relationship, her romantic relationship and how that would change, um, but also the relationship she had with her, her friends and her, um, you know, the people that are closest to her and even her opposition in Lucian, um, the other uh, voodoo priest. There, there had to be a history there between them uh, that again, I've plotted out over several books and plan to reveal a little bit at a time. So in book one, I kind of laid the seeds for that um, part of the mystery. So there's, there's two things. There's the murder mystery, right, that she has to solve. And then there's the mystery about what happened to her mom during Hurricane Katrina. Um, you know, it's a decade later and she's still, like a lot of people there, she still doesn't know. Um, but I wanted to be able to tie those things, continue to tie those two things together um, and unfold them in the mysteries as we go along. So yeah, just in terms of her relationships, in terms of her advancing a little bit on that second part of the mystery and her being a little bit better sleuth. I was uh, wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, some of the other um, influences maybe uh, that like you were thinking about as you wrote, because when I was reading um, like, you know, the setup, the beginning, um, you know, you have a, a private investigator and a wife comes into the office with like, oh, my mm -hmm. husband's up to something, but I don't know. And it was such right. a like 
a classic noir setup. And I wonder if yeah. like that also a conscious influence, like, cause I guess noir is kind of adjacent to like the hard boiled mystery, you know, yeah. like that's something that you were also thinking about or. Absolutely. I love, I love both, but I saw this definitely as more of a noir type mystery mm -hmm. and, um, the the whole setup the, the interesting thing is when i finished book one i already had an idea of what i wanted the mystery to be for book two so that's why i introduced the character at the end of book one um and just for folks too that haven't necessarily read book one you can read them independently but i think you get a lot more from it and you know the characters and the supporting cast a lot better if you read them both but um yeah, going in into this one, the story I actually got from a John Wertheim uh, story on 60 Minutes, and it was about college athletics, and we won't go too far into that, so we won't go into spoilers, but um, when I saw his story, I thought, um, yeah, that's got to somehow, I just knew that there was a story there, but I hadn't at that point decided that it was going to be in my mystery. So again, seeds get planted long before you actually end up using them. So as I was thinking about writing the second book, I thought, oh, yeah, that story. Um, and I was actually able to get him on the phone of all people. You know how busy this guy must be. Um, he was actually gracious enough to get on the phone with me from some airport in some very strange place. And we chatted about it, chatted about the story um, and what he found, some of the things that he wasn't even able to include, you know, um, in the 10 minutes or so that 60 minutes gave him. But that was key and that was critical. Some of the things that he gave me obviously ended up finding a place in the book. And, you know, part of that is to like plays into it being such a classic noir setup too, you know, because you have like mm -hmm. the, the personal drama, you know, like the sort of familial yeah. or the husband wife team, but then you also mm -hmm. have like the rot, you know, like under yes. the surface yes. of society. And, you know, again, without giving too much away, because I think it is such a like, a really important and very contemporarily important like it touches on a lot of stuff happening right now you know so mm -hmm. like it's it's just also well done I really enjoyed that aspect oh thank you welcome yeah that was actually a lot of um it was a switch for me because my first novel was actually historic it was a, a historical fantasy and mm -hmm. it was set during you know the 30s uh, so totally different time period now of course this is historical but much more contemporary um, so it was just a mind shift as well as a writing shift um, between, you know, book one and then these books as well. So writing in an urban, more contemporary fantasy setting was also a challenge because it's not the space that I was most comfortable in. But, you know, as a writer, you have to continue to stretch yourself and grow. Um, there was a concern because I'm like, OK, people who like me for historical, are they going to be able to get into this? And I'm like, trust your readers. They're, they're, they're able to go. If you tell them a good story, they're kind of able to go with you. So um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Um, and there's so many moving parts that kind of went into this one um, and bringing those all together into something that I was just so, so very happy with. Um, very satisfying to see it finally about to come out. So, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about the story that influenced this particular story? Because it's interesting. Um, yeah, it was about, it's a story about the um, Africa, I think that it was titled Africa to NBA Pipeline. So it's a story about, um, the story was about athletes on the continent of Africa. Obviously, we've seen an influx in the, probably over the last decade, I think, uh, across football, um, obviously soccer, um, basketball, all that from college sports all the way up to, you know, the NBA. 
So the story was essentially about one very particular route to um, U.S. athletics and how, you know, how that goes about and some of the problems and challenges uh, in the ways that certain athletes find their way onto uh, American shores. And I think that's enough of a intro without going too far. I yeah, I think I think so too. I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to leap too much into it. It was just, uh, again, it was very, very, very interesting. Yeah, that was a fascinating story. And I think if even if you go to um, the 60 Minutes website, you might be able to see a clip or two of it still out there if you search. You know, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, before we wrap up, I would love to know, like, broadly speaking, what you have mm -hmm. planned for Reina Dumond. Like, first off, I haven't said how cool her name is yet. Like, it's a very cool oh. name. I love her. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> without giving too much away, um, like, you know, you've talked a little bit about knowing where her journey goes. Like, do you have mm -hmm. volumes planned? Do you have, like, things in the works? Or, like, you know, where are we going with this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually have at least two more mysteries in my head already that I want to um, – tell using Raina uh, Duman as the main character. Um, I love her as a character and thanks for the name. It took me so long. I had like two before I settled on that one. So yeah, um, but I have two other mysteries that I would love to write with her in, uh, as the heroine sleuth slash detective. Um, a lot will depend on how well this is received. Um, but beyond that, I am also working on another strict fantasy novel um, that will probably be out next year. Um, but again, if things go the way that I like, I will be more than happy to return um, to this world. Yeah, I'm actually just curious because I'm going to say New Orleans, an important part of the setting of um, it is of the story. And you know what, in particular, how the setting plays into the supporting cast too, I think, because so mm -hmm. many really fun characters populate the story and sort of support Raina, you know, and I'm wondering, like, were any of these people based on encounters you had in, in New Orleans or, you know, people, you know, uh, people who you sort of like perceived as you like visited the city, like, cause it feels so lived in and real, you know? You know, the, the research into the city, and I can't remember who it was, but I think it was some author um, that I really love, and I'm ashamed to not know the name. They said, but when you write the, um, things that are set in special places, make sure that you make that setting, that city, a character. So I had that in mind, you know, when I was writing. So a lot of my research is not just voodoo or voodoo. It's not just athletics. It's not all, it's the part of it is, a large part of it is the city. So again, I think I told you, Jen, I visited once, just once. I've never lived there. Um, but what I did was the only thing that you can do. Uh, I got as much as I could when I visited. Um, but beyond that, talking to people who were residents, um, a person in my writing group um, was born and raised there. Um, and then the other thing is things that you can find online, even going online and getting in chats or forums um, that are based in that city, you'd be surprised what you can pick up just lurking and listening and reading. So I did quite a bit of that. And the characters that I formed kind of came out of, um, I think, things that I've seen in the past and things that I kind of read about online. And then I took bits and pieces of those elements and, and constructed characters. I did that for Lucian. Um, Tika actually was the first character to come to me. And I actually wrote a short story about her because I thought, she's really important. She's going to be important. And I want to know her um, as well as I can before I start. So wrote a short story that will again, never see the light of day. 
Um, but that was just kind of, a <laughs> that was my introduction to the story. And then all of the rest of them were kind of born out of, again, things that I read, things that I heard, people um, that people mentioned in just in conversation. Um, but Sweet Belly was another one. Lucian was another one. They were kind of just all kind of um, brought together from things that I've come up with in my research. Uh, and they're just such fun characters. Whenever Lucian, Sweet Belly, and Tika are on the page, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's time to have some fun. So yeah, it was just a lot of fun making that city um, as important a character as I could in the book. And um, there are just so many, for other writers, there's so many resources now, even if you can't travel, um, videos and, and pictures and all of that sort of stuff is out there. So you can really get a good look and feel. I mean, I was literally on Google Maps, um, you know, dragging the, the thing around, trying to make sure I got the street names right, that, oh, if I turn right here, where am I going to be? Oh, no, it's a one-way street. Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of work that went into making sure that I got that piece right. And the, the best thing ever is the messages that I got from people, um, the emails and messages that I got from people who live in New Orleans that said, you got it right. You got it right. That's amazing. You know, and I am no expert on the city, but like from my perspective, you did get it right. And yeah, like mm -hmm. it really communicates so much of what makes the city a special place and its residents, special people. Like it's just like it's yeah. real and vibrant and just like wonderful. And that is like I will use that to segue into like my uh, promo for the end of this. But if you love New Orleans, if you love noir and fantasy and super cool female protagonists, like you need to read these books. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so thank much you. for coming to talk to us. I had a really great time. And, you know, if you ever want to come back and talk about her further adventures or, you know, the fantasy book. That tell tell us about some of those short stories. I'm so oh, sad. Yeah. I'm never going to see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will absolutely come back and talk to you guys about um, the, the next book and everything else that I do with Raina coming forward. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm -hmm. All right, y'all. So check out this book. Um, when you listen to this, it will be available at your nearest bookstore uh, or independent. Wait. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry, Jessica. I was going to say. Independent <laughs> I kind of want to keep that in because that's yeah. awesome. Bookstore <laughs> library. That is a book. That is an awesome idea for an amateur sleuth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone. This has been Jen and my co-host. Jessica. Right. And it is time to close this chapter. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.